All right. How you guys doing tonight? Tonight. Not today. Tonight. I'm going to say this morning like eight times uh, because we only do this like once a year, right? So I can't really see you guys. So if you could do me a favor, I need to hear you guys uh, so that I know you're there, okay? So we'll have a few times that I need you to to talk back to me. I will prepare you for it. I will give you um, some preparation. So uh, today's sermon, um, we're going to be in uh, Matthew 1. So uh, we have Bibles available in the corner. If you can see them, uh, you can grab one. I can't see anything, so I'm stoked about that. Um, so I grew up in Los Angeles, um, for those who don't know. Um, and then after Los Angeles, I moved, my family moved me to, um, to San Diego, to Chula Vista uh, particularly. And uh, this, this Southern California area was home. And I don't know about, about you, but if you're from San Diego, if you're from Southern California, you got some swag. And, and, and what, I, what I mean by, by that is that, like you think that this is the best place on the planet and every place else besides Southern California is just nothing. Um, all right, well, there you go. So we got people from a few other states here, you know, glad you could come to church and get made fun of. But, but here's the thing. Um, during those times and those years when I was so arrogant as to think that uh, Southern California was it and only it, um, we talked about a certain, we had a certain phrase for the other states in the middle of America. And we called them flyover states. Flyover states. Which is super rude in retrospect, now having lived there. Um, but that's what we did. We called them flyover states. So you would go and fly over Kansas, right? But then I moved my family to Kansas, and I was like, I like being here. You know, uh, I like a lot of things about it, at least. The, the surf was bad. But I liked being in Kansas. And suddenly, what seemed like a flyover state, I zoomed in to one city in the middle of Kansas called Wichita, and I actually liked it. There was art, there was music, there was good things there, there was good food. There's always good barbecue in those flyover states. Um, but here's the thing, we're going to be in Matthew 1 today, and today I am going to be preaching from a flyover passage, a flyover passage. And what that means is, unless we zoom in on it, it's not going to mean anything to you. Because when you get to it in the Bible, you get past it in about 10 seconds because you go, read that, and then you move on. But today we're going to sit in it, and we're going to look at it, and we're going to try to understand it at a deeper level, and see maybe, just maybe, that if God puts something in the Bible, he put it there for us, and for our edification, and for our growth. Um, let me say this for those who need translation, buenos, buenas tardes, I almost said buenos dias, see, I told you I was going to do it. Um, si necesita escuchar el sermón en español, tenemos dispositivos de traducción para usted al costado de la sala. All right, now. Um, before we get to this reading, which I just know you're all pumped to do, um, I just want to point out a few things about first century genealogy. And uh, basically, there would be two, there'd be two emphasis. There'd be emphasis on two things. One, men. Two, great men. That is what you would put in your uh, genealogy. And absolutely, positively, no women, okay? Um, but for some reason that we will get to, um, there are messed up dudes all over this genealogy for Jesus. And then also, on top of that, there are women here. And we're going to have to look at it and say, why? But um, because we're reading something just a little bit, you know, mm, I'm not going to say the Bible's boring, but you might. 
Um, and so because we're doing that, I want to do something uh, with you to keep you engaged. Um, so when I go surfing, um, which I do as much as possible, and uh, there's, there's a saying that surfers, uh, surfers yell something, okay? And there it is. It's you, and it's spelled Y-E-W, you. Um, and so what I would really like to hear from you um, is I'd really like to hear a good yo. So can I hear a you? All right, let me hear it again. You. All right, so when you see a buddy and he's about to catch an awesome wave, you go, you. And you're just saying, hey, good job, man. That looks good. It's, it's all you. Get it, get it, get it. Um, and so today, as I read through Jesus' genealogy, if you hear a woman's name, now, we know uh, Middle Eastern names are confusing, so someone's going to get it wrong. Someone's going to be like, oh, that is totally a lady's name, and I'm going to, no, no. But if, and, and so I, I, but I want you to, to give it a shot. Um, if you hear a woman's name, can you guess what I want you to do? You. you. Let me hear it again. You. All right. The reason why I want you to do that is because if you hear a woman's name and you're like, hey, it might be weird. You hear a woman's, someone like listens to the sermon later on and they hear us saying, and then there was this woman and you hear people like, yeah, it's just weird. It's weird. So you're going to go, you, and nobody's going to be weirded up by that, right? So Matthew 1, 1 through 17, normally I say grab those Bibles because I like them so much better than screens, but today I will say the screens in the dark actually have a little bit of an advantage today, don't they? So um, you can listen to me read and check up on my work later. Really, you know, it's hard for me to get this wrong except in my pronunciation of the names, which you can make fun of me for later. So here we are in Matthew 1, 1 through 17. And what are you going to do if I say a woman's name? You! You! It's got to be a little bit, a little bit, you! Got to have some excitement in there. Okay. Matthew 1, 17. When I say Matthew, nobody said it, so we're on a good start. Okay. That's the dude's name. All right. Matthew 1, 1 through 17. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Yeah, there it is. Tamar. All right. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. How am I doing? I'm doing good? I'm doing good? All right. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. You! you. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. You. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. You! you. I'm going to give that to you. That is a woman we are speaking about. I'll tell you why we did that in a little bit. Um, Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. Kids, aren't you just so pumped that I picked this verse for the kids to be in the service? And Josiah fathered Jeconiah. And his brothers at the same time of the Babylon exile... After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shetiel. Shetiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abuid. Abuid fathered Elikayim. Elikayim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Achim. Achim fathered Eliud. Eliud fathered Elizier. Elizier fathered Mathan. Mathan fathered Jacob. 
and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary. You! You! Who gave birth to Jesus, who is called Christ. By the way, sound man, sorry about that, Jordan. That's probably really hard to hear me do that percussive sound. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until the Christ, 14 generations. Friends, this is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father, what a blessing to be together in this warm room with friends. We are here because you brought us here. We are together because you brought us together. We have been saved from much and for much. Would you teach us this evening from your word? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. So, Jesus, fully man, fully God. But often I think that we emphasize too much the God part and forget the man part. Sometimes you'll go to churches where it's only about his humanity and you forget the God part. But before us, today in Matthew, is a living, breathing Christmas family tree. Jesus came from a real family, an amazing family, an amazing, screwed up, crazy family with serious issues. And so today I have for you two important names for Jesus, two important names for Jesus. And our first point is this, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. To be a prince, you have to have a king. And he is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and Prince of Peace. How is that? Well, it's because he is God himself. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, for, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That is the, that is the prophecy of who Jesus would be. Not just, not just some guy, not just some prophet, not just the Messiah, but God himself. Son of God, Jesus is otherworldly. He is God in the flesh. He's been the man we are waiting for. And we call Jesus Son of David. Why David? Well, it's because David was considered to be the greatest king in the Bible. Why David? Because David's throne would be established forever. And who could establish that throne but a son that would live forever? That is the only one who could sit on that throne forever. And that is why David, the great king, would look up one day to his son, Jesus, who would be the greater king, the forever king. In Matthew 12, 23, when Jesus heals a man, it says, all the crowds were astounded and said, could this be the son of David? Here in the passage, Matthew emphatically says, yes, Jesus is the son of David. Then in the, in the genealogy, we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these great men, Josiah. He had a huge religious reform movement, Josiah. In the same way, Hezekiah, he made Israel a better place to be a better people, and he followed God. And these, all these amazing kings and, and liberators and people were all in this genealogy of who Jesus is. And this is saying, Jesus comes from somebody and Jesus comes from somewhere. If you want to trust someone at their word, you need to know they can back it up. Jesus comes from the only family tree that could save us. Why? Because it was prophesied that way. Whenever you want to become a king, you've got to prove it. You have to prove that you are of a royal bloodline. 
In the United States, you have to prove that you were born in the United States to become a president, right? You've got to be 35 years old, and you've got to prove you were born here. A while back, it was rumored that Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back, you know, um, he wanted to become president. But there was one problem, right? He was born in Austria. So he would never become our president. In a relatively young country like, say, Zambia in Africa, they have... Um, a, a rule that all Zambian presidential candidates have to trace their lineage back two generations into their country so they can keep things pure. And Jesus, he too needed to prove that he was king to fulfill prophecy. And so Matthew here is showing us, look at this guy, Jesus. Look at where he comes from. This shows you that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Now, after hearing Jesus speak in John seven forty, some people started asking the question, they said, is this the dude we have been waiting for? That is the, the translation, I believe. In, in John 7, 40 through 42, it says, when some from the crowd heard this, these words, that's his words, they said, this truly is the prophet. Others said, well, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? But what we know when we study the Bible stories, when we study Matthew, we see that's where he came from. He's backing up Jesus' resume, saying, this is the only one who could save. Recently, our family watched a movie about the famous racehorse Secretariat. And it's so funny because you watch these movies and you're like, oh, I hope Secretariat wins. And it's like, I heard the name Secretariat before for a reason. It's the same thing with Seabiscuit. When you're watching the movie Seabiscuit, if you're watching the movie Seabiscuit and you don't expect him to like ultimately win, like, come on, man, you know the name Seabiscuit for a reason. Same thing with Secretariat. Now, in the movie about Secretariat, because I got Disney Plus now, woo, um, <laughs> some of you guys do too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you! Um, so, uh, basically, this entire horse was as good as its, as its family. He was as good as his mother, and he was as good as his father. And, he, and we found that he was a great racing horse because of the pedigree of where he came from. And so here Jesus shows us that he comes from a great pedigree, that his, his earthly family was great, and his heavenly family was even greater because he's God. Now what that means is we live our lives understanding that we are included in Jesus' pedigree. You and I are sons and daughters of the king. So we see Jesus' lineage is great, but I don't need to spend a lot of time on that, do I? Because you already knew that, right? Even more important, though, his lineage, if you really look at this list, Jesus' lineage was shady. Shady. His lineage was shady. Let me hear you say shady. Shady. Say it to someone next to you. Shady. You got to say shady. Okay, you got to try that better. Shady. Okay, that's right. Okay, so our second title for Jesus was this, Son of Man. Son of Man. Why is that important? Because man is shady, right? Okay, let me read to you from, um, now uh, so, some people might even call him this, Son of Sinners. Ooh. Well, they might even call him something even worse, human. Isaiah 53, 2 through 3 says this, He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. 
He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. That's a description of Jesus 700 years before his birth. This is the dude that will be born. This is what the Savior will look like. Everybody else, that's what he's going to look like. Jesus had flesh and bones like every man. He wasn't like those paintings you see everywhere, right? Where Jesus is like in Tevas. He's got that like Kenny Loggins beard. Kids, you're not going to get that. Like millennials might not get that. But Gen X and above, you know Kenny Loggins, right? That sweet beard. But this doesn't make him necessarily shady, does it? Um, But we do know that Jesus was not white. The genes that flowed through Jesus were genes of the great men and women before him, um, and also from some dastardly people as well. So we know, A, Jesus was not white. We know that Jesus had some great people in his background and some shady people in his background. Um, And he was just not who we would have expected. If If everybody came into the room and we just judged everybody by looks, Jesus would go right around the middle, just like everybody else. Now, it's also important to trace his genealogy because it shows you that Jesus was indeed a real man, doesn't it? He's traceable, right? He's not a figment of a writer's imagination. He's a real human being with breath, blood, and guts. Now, president of Payne Seminary, Michael Joseph Brown, he says this. He says, Jesus descends not only from a distinguished bloodline full of kings and queens, but also from outsiders and persons of questionable character and practice. I like that. Of the five women mentioned in this word here, four are of hematic descent, which means most likely they would have been dark-skinned. Jesus had African blood in his veins, and he was not pure blood anything. He was a man for all people. Now, Tony Evans, he says it this way. I love the way Tony Evans speaks. So, you know, I, I say Tony Evans almost every week. Here's what he said. It blessed me to know that Jesus had black in his blood because this destroys any perception of black inferiority once and for all. In Christ, we find perfect man and sinless savior. This knowledge frees blacks from an inferiority complex, and at the same time, it frees whites from the superiority myth. In Christ, we all have our heritage. It's good that we can all trace ourselves to Jesus, right? But not only is it amazing that Matthew shows us women in Jesus' family tree, but it's incredible to see how Jesus is mixed race, right? So um, we see uh, these great people in here too, but we also see losers listed by name, those who were really awful people um, and those who were just considered nobodies by the culture of the time. Now, even um, the women that are mentioned um, are probably some of the more shady women, not all of them, but a few of them are kind of shady too. Now, uh, the question I have is why not mention Sarah? If you know the Bible, she's awesome. How about Deborah? How about Hannah? How about Leah? How about Rachel? No, 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 we're not going to mention any of those ladies. Oh, you! I didn't think about that. Um, But it's probably because God wanted to show us something, right? If I'm going to tell you about my family, I'm going to tell you the good things, right? Not the junk that we've done wrong. Not that, like, my great-grandpa, like, was a switch operator on, like, some, some trains and, like, accidentally crashed them or something, um, uh, which, you know, he did. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to necessarily tell you. But what, what I, wanna, I want you to know about is all the accolades. Not our lies, not our deceptions, not our sins. I want you to know all the things that make me look good. Now, why does it mention Uriah's wife? David had a child by Uriah's wife. You All right. We're going to keep this going full steam. Um, But why does it mention her? Now, we know her name as Bathsheba, 
okay? Well, it's because David sinned against God by murdering a man and, and being with his wife. And if I were going to mention who Jesus comes from, I would say King David, the man, not King David, the adulterer who murdered a man so he could be with a woman. But here, in the genealogy of Matthew, he shows us the humanity of Jesus. And why is that humanity so important, friends? <laughs> because we're human and we're awful. And sometimes we go to God and we say, there's no way you could forgive this. I sat with someone this week that said, I know God is good. I know he's good. I know he forgives them, but not me because of the things I've done. And I say to you, if that's you, you got it all wrong. Look at Jesus' genealogy. Look at the great men of the Bible. They were shady. Now, there's one dude named Manasseh. I want to tell you, uh, read you a little bit of the Bible about Manasseh. In, in 2 Kings 21, uh, 2 through 3, it says this, He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord dispossessed before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed, reestablished the altars for Baal, which is like a bad, bad dude. He made an Asherah as King Ahab of Israel had done. He also bowed in worship to the stars in the sky and served them. Later on, it goes to say, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem with it from one end to another. This was in addition to his sin that he caused Judah to commit so that they did what was evil in the Lord's sight. This is where Jesus came from. Shady dudes, right? Now Rahab, you, Rahab... Rahab was known for being a woman of the night. I'm not going to, okay. Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Now, a Moabite was someone who was not Israeli. They were foreign and not welcome. And yet, Jesus has the blood of a Moabite in him. Ahaz, he served Baal and bowed in worship to him. He angered the Lord God of Israel just as his father had done. Now, I was talking to someone recently that said the Bible was created to give power to rich white men only. Like me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, well, she might have been referencing that. But I ask you, if you were going to craft a document to make you look good, would you include these people? Would you include these people? Now, one author says this, in both Greek, Roman, and Jewish culture, a woman had no legal rights. She would not inherit property or give testimony in a court of law. She was completely under her husband's power. She was seen as less of a person than a thing. Friends, you just got accused of murder and you got three women that were witnesses. You are going to the chair. Maybe not then, they didn't have the chair, but you are, you're, you're not going to make it. Now, if you've ever seen the movie Harry Potter um, or many of the other Harry Potters, there's a, dude, there's a dude named Sirius Black. And if you look at Sirius Black... Um, and you look at his family tree, it's all jacked up, right? And yet, Sirius is not, you know. Uh, but, and yet, but something good comes from that tree. And so I tell you, friends, Jesus comes from a royal background and a royally screwed up background. He wouldn't be the right savior without both. In Matthew 8, 20, it says, Jesus told them, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. What does that mean? It means that Jesus was, was poor. Jesus was like us in so many ways, friends. And where you come from says so much to the people 
that we often integrate into our names. So Jesus comes from all these people. And we do the same thing, right? Have you ever met someone with the name Williamson? What do you think that means? Son of William, right? Have you ever had, heard of someone named Jackson? He's the son of Jack. How about this? Madison. Come on, Carson. We get this, right? Harrison. These are the sons of someone else. This is where this name comes from. We celebrate our heritage, don't we? But we're not our parents either. And you're not your family. And you are not what lies behind you. But Jesus came from a royal background and a royally screwed up background. And he wouldn't be the right savior without both. Now, because we got the kids, I'm going to close real soon for you guys. Aren't you stoked? But friends, Christmas morning was about 2,000 years ago. And this precious child was born. No crying. He made, he, he cried. Okay, he was a child. And he was born in the stinkiest of places. I heard a pastor say the other day, if it was scratch and sniff, we wouldn't scratch it. <laughs> this was where the animals kept warm. But this was not any child, friends. This was the savior of the world who came into a family of ill reputation so that you might be saved. He didn't stay in heaven where it was comfortable, probably like 75 degrees. If you're me, like 70, 71 he came to earth for us because he loved you. And he came and he chose a family that was broken, that was hurting, that hated each other, murdered each other, murdered other people, cheated on each other, uh, slept around, did all the things that you would say should not be in the Bible. And yet our God came from this family. And I tell you, there are many of you today who feel who feel like, man, you just are not enough for God. That you're not good enough, that you've done enough bad things that, you know what, he's written you off. And I tell you, he's never written you off. That if he would come into a family like this, full of people who have done probably worse things than, you know, like 91% of us. I'm just like, who's the nine? You'll never know. But he did this because he loved us. So he came to this earth. And he lived a perfect life so you, you might have a better life. And he died as a sacrifice. So even though we have sinned against God, he came and he did something about it. And in that manger lied a child that could do something. In that manger was a child who could change the world. He could change my life. He could change your life. And it's not because you're good. It's because he's good. And when he died on the cross, that was the final sacrifice needed. Not only is he the king that sits on the throne forever, but he is the lamb of God sacrificed for the sins of the world forever. And so when you accept Jesus as Lord of your whole life, it's done. It's finished. And just to prove it, he rose again on the third day. And while we're talking about Christmas, we got to mention Easter. Because he rose on the third day and he showed that death was no more. That he conquered it. That he showed that your sin was no more, that he conquered it, if you would but surrender your life to him. And now we get to be a part of his family. Is there anything that should stop you from accepting Jesus as Lord tonight, becoming a part of his forever family? If there's nothing you can think of to stop you, I pray that you would, you would pray with us, that you would come, you would speak to us, you would let us pray for you. Come be a part of us on this side of the family. Jesus came from a royal background and a royally screwed up background. He wouldn't be the right savior without both. We are Jesus' broken family. We are Jesus' beautiful family. We are Jesus' redeemed family. Church, will you pray with me?
Father, it means so, so much to us to know that there are so many broken people in your family tree that you come from such a screwed up family that those of us who, who might think that our family is screwed up, we can look to yours and say, okay, you too. What does it mean to us that you came and you died for us? Lord, it means that we have forgiveness. And so, God, we ask in this moment that we, we silently would confess our sins to you. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you as far as the east is from the west, so our sin is from your sight. Would you cause us to really understand that all the way in the depths of our soul, that no sin of ours could separate us from your love if we would but surrender to you? So God, help us because we just sometimes tend to think that our sin is bigger than your grace. May it not be. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for caring for us. And thank you that you are royal and you have a royally screwed up family, but you wouldn't be the right savior without both. Lord, we love you and we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.